0: Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. I'm Paul rees I'm
1: Eric Klein. Hi, everyone. I'm Jennifer Waits.
0: So today, uh, we're, we're going to look at sort of the convergence of radio and other media. We're going to talk about the convergence of radio with television, with publishing, with music... In other forums, because we have uh, an interesting set of topics, we've been we've been talking about now. I think for a lot uh, in this year, in in twenty twenty one, but have long been on our radar. Uh, and then we have events out in the rest of the world that bring them and put them in front of us, front and center. So we have an update about Franken FMs. These are TV stations that behave like radio stations, and we actually have an update about a potential. Um, expansion of sorts in low power FM community radio here in the United States, and we also uh, there 's been an issue of the magazine The Wire dedicated entirely to radio and, and the wire is is a long standing kind of experimental uh, music and sound magazine, so in a lot of ways, the types of things that are of interest to the wire are the kind of things. Of interest to us here, but now formally they took on radio. So this is just a couple of things we want we want to kind of cover today, as well as um, also talk a little bit more about cassettes. <laughs> so I think it's going to be a fun show here, and I'm I'm really glad uh, you're you're all here uh, to meet us on on a fun edition of of radio survivor. So who wants to talk about Franken FMs,
2: huh? <laughs> let, let listeners know that um, these are. Television stations that are local in the in the cities where they exist that um, that because they're analog they bump up against the bottom of the radio dial so they they're they're on TV but but their primary business usually is broadcasting radio content to a radio
0: audience for for commercial purposes or non commercial purposes it does it, it it can vary from station to station uh, but yeah and and these stations exist. Because there was a change in television. If people may remember back in 2009, uh, when television stations went digital. And so that meant for some folks, you went and got a special converter box. If you had cable, maybe you didn't over time. People switched over from tube CRT TVs to, uh, to flat screen TVs. And that's because in in 2009, all full power TV stations were actually required to go digital, not optional fully required but there's a class of tv stations low power tv stations that weren't required to make the transition and they're a little bit like low power fms in that they broadcast with low power as it sounds like which means they they have a smaller broadcast radius and they're less expensive to build Unlike low power FM, they're not intended to be non-commercial. They don't have to be like community radio or run or or be educational. Uh, Really, the only difference is that they were less expensive to build and have lower power. They were given a longer lease, a lease which has been sort of renewed over and over again.
2: It, It really harkens back to like a just a completely different media landscape, like my grandpa's media landscape, you know, where television stations could be small and and be like really a part of the community where they where they were built as opposed to this um you know what we're more used to in, yeah in part of the 21st century
0: although in effect frankly most low-power tv stations were not really community tv stations by any stretch of the imagination but in effect they, they could be broadcasting like qvc or home shopping you know, in effect, it's not really how it worked out, um, but nevertheless, the stations persisted and at the various times in the last uh what is now 12 years, the FCC has given new dates for these stations to turn off their analog signals, which is what you can hear on the radio when they broadcast on Channel 6 um, and over time the date just keeps getting pushed and pushed and pushed, usually because it's not the most important thing on the FCC's agenda. Um, you, you love these stations, these Franken-FMs, because, again, in case it wasn't
2: clear, they're not television stations. Well, they are.
0: They are television stations. Oh, they, have a, they have a video
2: signal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they're lifeblood. Their they're reason for being, the reason maybe people even know about them in the city where they live, is because they listen to them on the radio. Yeah, they
0: play- yeah exactly. They're there at 87.75 FM, which for all intents and purposes on your radio is 87.7 FM. And and they really didn't exist prior to 2009, right? It's really, they became into existence because people who owned these channel six stations, that's the only channel that you can hear on the FM dial, saw an opportunity. They realized, well... Now we're losing most of our viewers as people switch over to digital television and cable. So we're probably not really keeping many viewers to our television signal. But this signal is heard on the radio. And, of course, it's expensive to transition over to all new transmitting equipment, to digital equipment. So it's also kind of a cost-saving maneuver to hold on to your analog equipment and just broadcast analog. And so they, over time, right, started broadcasting radio. And, and as of my last count, I see about 22 to 24 of these stations now operating around the country. However, the reason why we're updating you about this, something we've talked about many times, is that July 13th is supposedly the final, very final switch off date right around the corner right around the corner as we record here at the end of june 2021 july 13 2021 is the deadline for a low power tv station to switch over to digital and what that means is if you are one of these 20 some stations that is heard on the fm dial because you broadcast on channel six that analog signal which is the audio signal goes away no more radio station. There
2: are, there are listeners out there in the country who are about to lose that. You know, we've always we always talk about the one station that that you taught me existed, Paul, in in
0: Chicago. I believe that plays a unique me uh, TV uh, FM, which at yeah. this point now me TV FM has affiliates on the actual FM dial, like actual FM radio affiliates. There's one in the Portland metro area, so Wisconsin Franken FM that they've so they won't
2: they won't go off the air then well the, and so the so there's
0: a new development here right and so while we have this july 13th shutoff date we have this sort of possible reprieve um venture technologies is the name of a company that owns a lot of these channel six tv stations and they have a, have had a proposal in front of the fcc that basically says can we keep our analog radio signal analog audio signal while broadcasting a digital TV station. And they basically said, we think it's technically possible. Um, Let us prove it. And the FCC authorized them with something called Special Temporary Authority to do this, to try out this experiment on their station in San Jose, California, KBKF. And so right now, this station is actually broadcasting a digital TV station So if you were to tune in your television, you would find a regular television station at Channel 6. And also in that area, they they are broadcasting a radio signal at uh, 87.75 FM.
2: Not the same. The TV is not the same content as the radio. in
0: In In fact, the FCC has demanded that it not be. The FCC has demanded that as part of this trial, which is a six month trial, right? So this is not permanent. This is really an experiment that the digital part of it, the digital TV, have a synchronized video and audio programming, right? Reading, reading that in, in English means it's regular television. <laughs> right. And it has to be on a full time 24-7 basis. Has to be real. Like a right, real b- exactly because often the video uh, signals that you have with the other Franken FMs are are bulletin boards or you know video loops you know static images things that are not necessarily related to the audio content.
2: If you turned on Channel Six Television where MeTV, the radio station, is on the air. You're going to get to hear the same station content, the same music, but just see like uh, some kind of. You know, billboard, right? Yeah,
0: like exactly, a, exactly. And venture like technologies internet in the '90s. Yes, And and venture technologies also owns the Channel Six in Chicago, which hosts MeTV FM. And so, certainly, I think their hope is that they can extend this this special temporary authority to their uh, MeTV FM. Um, the thing that's interesting about this, of course, is that it's it's an experiment, right? It's not, uh, the FCC has not given authorization to them. And even if the, at the end of the experiment, it is very possible that the FCC could say, thank you very much, turn off your transmitter. Um, it, this is very much, it feels like the FCC trying to thread a very difficult needle because there are definitely, uh, stakeholders opposed to this happening NPR being the most prominent of them, but other radio interests, right? Because they say, and and I think these are these are these are convincing arguments in a lot of ways, right? They say, look, if we're going to open up the FM band to have stations at eighty seven point seven FM, well, then shouldn't the opportunity be open to everybody? One, right? Yeah. Why is it just this one accident? Which no one, you know, I mean, everyone's people have known for since the beginning of the FM band. At least the FM band being at beginning at uh, eighty eight megahertz, that channel six audio could be heard. It's only with the digital turnoff that anyone really tried to turn that into radio stations. And then they say also, if that's going to be radio stations in the U.S., that's supposed to be part of the non-commercial ban. They shouldn't be commercial stations. Right.
1: It's interesting. Do you know why, if Venture owns a bunch of these stations, do you know why they started with San Jose for the test? And the reason I'm asking is because it's it's very intriguing that in the South Bay area, in Mountain View, there is a licensed 87.9 station, which is pretty rare. That's a Class D station that used to be at St. Francis High School, and now it is owned by Mountain View Public Broadcasting. It's, it's a station that airs South Asian-oriented content. So it, it's intriguing to me that you've got an 87.75 Franken FM in that area and also an 87.9 class dfm yeah station. that
0: is interesting and uh, no i don't know why they chose it i mean i i have no uh i i have no idea why they chose that particular station out of all um whether it was they simply had the equipment ready to go <laughs> right could be simple you know just just uh the practicalities or maybe it is because of that you know uh, uh, it you know the distance between mountain View and, and San jose I, I suspect is significant enough that there's no way the eighty seven point nine at ten watts of power would be heard in San jose correct um vice versa i'm not certain i'm not certain what you know how well the uh, eighty seven point seven five in San jose would would possibly interfere with the class d ten watt station in um, in uh up up mountain, at, view. mountain view but also we have to take into account that these stations have existed together all along.
1: Exactly. Like nothing
0: has changed from that perspective. Um, and so we have to uh, sort of assume that all along um, they've not been not interfering. Right. And, and one of the things about having this class D 10 watt station as a type of license that the FCC has not offered uh, for more than 40 years um, is that any remaining Class D stations have to basically accept that, that any interference that might be caused by other stations and all, all the way to the fact that they can be kicked off the air if somebody else would want their their frequency. However, 87.9 is not currently a frequency that the FCC gives out. <laughs> if no, you, cannot currently, you cannot currently uh, uh, p- propose for a license at 87.9 FM.
2: What I love about this story is how... My default position when I think about radio is not that it's this enormous spectrum that includes other technologies that could broadcast in this range just that it's 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 the box that the music comes out of and and TV is the box that the pictures come out of and I this story of Franken FM's and the the blending of the of the signal uh, it overlaps that, that 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 analog television will bump up against the bottom of the radio dial reminds me that, um all of this spectrum has was divided up you know uh it, choices were made
0: choices that, were made and choices were made you know effectively you know 70 80 plus years ago right these are these are long standing choices this wasn't yeah. something that got decided in 19 81 and but it's it's just fascinating to to think about um about the the,
2: the spectrum being being available to all these technologies and how uh, how the, how they could be put to, to all sorts of uses, and and we haven't agreed upon a set of uses, but but um, there's still this room, right, where where what's going to happen to this lower frequency of the radio dial um, is still um, a political conversation. It's it's yeah. an ongoing it's an ongoing uh, struggle. If I you know if I can put the, the word struggle to it, that like, yeah. where where are we going to end up? How many new stations might end up on this?
0: Well, that's road. the thing, right? I mean, that's that's kind of what's at question here. And the FCC, you know, the engineers at the FCC at the media bureau, they want to work off of facts if they can, right? And so providing this st- special temporary authority, right, for the station that's going to be operating that way, it's a risk for them because they have no assurance that passes six months they're going to continue this experiment, right? And the FCC then is getting some evidence to see if there's interference. Does it cause problems? You know, how does it work out? Which can then inform, if they choose to take up the question more formally, a proceeding. A proceeding where they might set rules and boundaries around this.
2: If I I might be silly for a moment, you could imagine a world where... Instead of uh these television stations which operate on a commercial basis for the most part, or at least the ones that have this interest, what if what if the United States of America decided that every middle school and high school was gonna get on the air and this was the part of the spectrum that they were gonna give to right. school? I mean, and that that's a that's a potential world we could live
0: in. Yeah. I mean and that's a question the FCC has to answer to It's constituency, which is both the people and broadcasters, is that if we chose to sort of make carve out this little exception of this little piece of FM band as good as we find these Franken FMs, you know, what does that mean for all the communities that could have a station there that don't just because that station converted to digital way beforehand because no one ever took advantage of the loophole because there never was a station there to begin with. Right, there's a lot of what ifs there, and that's those are things that I think that that the FCC will have to, will probably contend with, and will you know will will try to do so you know in a way that in which it tries to be fair. I also see the other side of the story, or the other hand, where where you have the FCC saying, well, these stations are providing a service that people have come to rely on, uh, a large uh, a decent percentage of them are Spanish language in markets where that could be important, um, where they you know even a TV FM. It's sort of an oldies format, but it really carved itself a niche that's kind of different than anything else you heard on the air. That's why it became popular in Chicago, is because people found that it really was different than anything that they'd heard it, recently.
2: The way I love to think about it, even if it's not a hundred percent true, is that because it was a Franken FM, they found a they found room to experiment within the medium of commercial radio that that was not a potential like whatever twelve fifteen years ago. Yeah, if that's the right.
0: Dates. Yeah, yeah, no,
2: yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, Perfect. and off in the commercial radio universe at that point, and then here's this scrappy little weird commercial radio station that found a new genre, essentially. And like, that
0: frequency that, in Chicago before it was MeTV FM was was Smooth Jazz, actually, which was a format which had left the airways in Chicago and was brought back on to this Channel Six. It actually had a brief run as Sports Talk. I mean, it's seen a whole bunch of different. Uh, changes until it settled in on me tv fm and now frequently beats a lot of other uh bigger uh you know true fm stations in the nielsen ratings Um, we should
2: we should have let's 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 do a segue now where we just speculate on whether or not smooth jazz can ever make a comeback
0: to the U.S. airwaves. <laughs> I believe we had that the conversation uh, okay. a couple of years yeah. ago. I'm nostalgic. But, for, uh, yeah, I, I think
1: we need Matthew Lazar back on yeah. for that but conversation. The, last,
0: the last sort of thing I want to note about this, because I, th- I think it's important uh, to note, right, is, is I think that there's this impulse at the FCC that's noting that there, that there are listeners to these stations, right? And so the turn off, the forced digital turn, off, turn on or switch over, you know, means in the short term or in the long term, listeners are suddenly deprived of a service they've become accustomed to relying on one way or another, however it got there. And I think there's at least some recognition that, you know, it might be good to figure out, you know, what, you know, to at least examine in a thoughtful way what that impact is and what possible, you know, ways could be pursued what past could be pursued to keep that service you know I th- a lot of folks in you know uh in community radio and in sort of community radio engineering have fantasized for years that the television change over to digital could open up all this space to the left end of the dial that would it could be non-commercial could be space for more experimental ideas about radio what if it was only low power fm for instance right and, and so instead of having to compete yeah. with with full power stations for bandwidth on the rest of the dial, there was a place where uh, you could very fully populate. And it wouldn't be the first right. time the the AM dial was expanded only only uh, at the beginning of, of the millennium. You taught
2: us, Paul, that in in New Zealand, I believe, there's a part of the spectrum that is uh, essentially for, for what we would call pirate radio. Unlicensed radio yep. is, has a has a chunk of the spectrum that they're allowed to use to broadcast to, to communicate exclusively to the media. left,
0: the far left end and far right end of the dial. You can broadcast with, with one watt of power um, without a license. Exactly. A set aside so that, so that, you know, you can, you can build all sorts of interesting experimental stations um, at a very low cost. So I think mean, there's a lot of things that, that will have to be sorted out in the meantime, though, we've got uh, this one station, uh, which is KBKF in, in San Jose, California, that will be broadcasting possibly others. You know, it, it, they, again, this is a sort of a one by one, one off kind of thing that, that other stations would have to approach the FCC to ask for that same special temporary authority. And we don't really know whether they would authorize more than one or whether many of these stations are even prepared or in a position to to do this, to basically operate effectively two transmitters at the same time, um, because it does sort of increase your expense uh, and, and, and your costs and complexity of running, of running the operation to continue to continue to do that. Uh, so we'll, we'll kind of keep watching that and see what happens. I mean, but also it's important to point out that, that the special temporary authority is something which the FCC granted before HD radio uh, became uh, on the dial, right? They first granted uh, stations to experiment with HD radio technology. Um, last year, the FCC decided that AM stations could go all digital, right? On a voluntary basis, there were stations or a few stations that had special temporary authority to broadcast all digital AM first as an experiment, right? And at the time they did so understanding you may or may not at the end of this get full authority. You may not be allowed to continue it. You do so, you know, understanding the risks, but it's also a way for, to understand in the real world, What are the implications of this? How does this actually play out rather than just sort of, uh, you know, through modeling? Well, this is Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. We're talking about the convergence of radio with other media. We just talked about uh, Franken FMs, low power TV stations that also are heard on the on the FM dial. And uh, this isn't quite uh, this next story isn't really quite uh, about uh, convergence with other media, but I think it's of interest to people who care about community radio and low power FM is that the FCC uh, has a proposal in front of it right now to increase the power of low-power FM called LP250. And and this is not the first time such a proposal made to the FCC. But this most recent one was submitted by Michelle Bradley, who's a wonderful engineer, wonderful advocate for uh, community radio and low-power FM in particular uh, at REC Networks, which is an engineering firm. And what Michelle's proposed is what what she calls a simple 250 proposal It's to find a simple way in which uh, some LPFM stations could basically more than double the amount of power that they broadcast with, which would mean in general being able to enlarge uh, the area that they serve. Uh, Folks see this particularly as, you know, potentially important in rural areas. Where the population density may not be as high as it is in a San Francisco or even in a suburban area, although that's not the only place where it could be appropriate. Um, I think it's important to point out
2: right I was uh, I, I encountered a low power FM station in rural Oregon where when you're driving towards the town that it's located, you start to get the station a mile out a town on the on the road as you're leaving you get it about a little like a mile as you're leaving. And what's unique there in in Fossil Oregon is there's no other stations around but right. once you leave, once you leave that signal, it's, it's, it's all fuzz and static so for them to what to double their strength yeah. would, uh, I mean you could hear them farther away. Um, I also I mean in case listeners don't know low-power FM, you know here in Portland, small city, there's numerous low-power FM radio stations that I'm a huge fan of that I cannot hear in my home and it would be interesting. If they increase their power, uh, which ones could I tune in?
0: Exactly. And whether or not any given station can increase its power, it's, it, there's a number of questions, it has to do with what other stations nearby in the dial. Um, but what's great as well is that Michelle built a tool. For people to 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 estimate online because she 's a brilliant engineer <laughs> and so uh, we 'll put this in our show notes at radiosurvivor but it 's checklp two fifty dot com that 's l p two five zero dot com uh, so that you can put in your station 's details and pull from the fCC database and make some estimates on whether or not Uh, You might be able to increase your power and for a lot of stations, you know, increasing power is is also, you know, like it increases their, their ability to serve an area, but can also be possibly the question about sustainability. Right. The more people who, who can hear, the more people who can be involved, the more people who can contri- contribute both in, in monetarily and in terms of, uh, you know, labor and, and or, or just be boosters of the station. And, and, you know, while many low power FM's, you know, have significant online presences, you know, are do a lot of Internet broadcasting, it's still a whole lot of this country that does not have good broadband. You know, where, where internet connections are expensive and uh, not very good. And listening to internet radio um, is more of a luxury and something you might have to choose between doing something else online. And so just, having an actual over-the-air FM signal c- c- can be a real boon.
2: With the way the internet works, I'm always using it for other kinds of nonsense. Like, when I listen to the radio, I listen to the radio. When I'm online all bets are off whether or not i'm going to stay focused on a radio station uh, all day the same way i would if i tuned it in on my on my radio but but that's a not not everyone listens to the radio that way right
1: well and and the folks who have applied for low power fm licenses and are on the air with low power fm stations clearly wanted to have an fm signal so these are most likely places where there is an audience over fm that benefits from these radio stations
0: exactly exactly so right now um some initial comments have been filed with the fcc and the next step will be basically for the fcc's media bureau to to take a look at the, at the proposal as it's submitted look at the comments and decide whether they want to you know potentially move forward uh you know the fcc as a federal bureaucracy does not move quickly Um, So it's not something which I think people should expect, you know, that we'll have a resolution anytime soon on it, but that, you know, over time they'll take a look and decide whether they want to basically have um, a notice of proposed rulemaking, uh, which they would send to the commissioners, right? These are the the five people under normal times who are in charge of the Federal Communications Commission, all political appointees, who would have a chance to look at that. And if they decide, uh, yes, that's something we should explore, then it becomes an actual sort of rulemaking process, which again, has public comment period and uh goes through many more hoops in which you know the the actual rules that get put in place uh may be changed and honed uh to meet both uh you know criticism or friendly amendments uh that people make but it, it's worth noting and 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 uh we'll continue to follow it here at radio survivor does it matter that we've changed party
2: in charge of the white house as far as the the low power FM issue, you know, you, you mentioned the FCC commissioners, when one party is in charge of the White House, they hold the majority of commissioners. And now the Democrats are in charge and they have the majority. Well, we,
0: we currently have a stalemate because right. we're still awaiting a fifth commissioner to be appointed to the FCC. So right now we have two Democrats and two Republicans.
2: Hundred and something days into the
0: administration yeah so we still have a stalemate there and um that that come into play do we have to game this out this way well i mean i mean it's a political it is a political decision but much of it is also a technical decision right right is deciding you know how you know looking over the proposal as it's made which is technical in nature and deciding does this seem to does this seem to to measure up with our expectations what
2: about the thing that we learned from dr christopher terry last time he was on that uh, right before donald trump was was done holding power he removed the technocrat republican commissioner and and switched in
0: uh well, a wild card, uh, Nathan for- Simington. Yes, uh, yeah. someone who who right. I mean, that it, it, it may or may not make a difference. I mean, I, I think that generally speaking, your commissioners are going to be going on the advice of the engineers and the technocrats and the bureau, rather than necessarily coming to their own conclusions from that perspective. And so, basically, you know, it, it will it, it will depend on a lot of things and some people might say that that a, a republican a democratic administration is more friendly to um to low power FM and to community radio, but it's been a bipartisan issue for a long time. And we have to take into account that a large number of low power FMs are associated with churches and religious communities who often uh, are in uh, Republican leading districts throughout the country. It is not necessarily something which splits down the aisle. Um, and so I don't, I don't know that we can, I don't know that I'm prepared certainly to game out what What difference it makes mostly it is having not having five uh commissioners um always slows things down because you're most likely to take on the work that has the uh, the least amount of controversy Um, but also the likelihood of this being in front of commissioners uh in in the next hundred days is probably very low it's probably quite some time before there's a lot of work to be done and there's a very long queue. So, um, it's worth noting and, and, and noting the excitement around uh, low power FM circles for this, but we're still probably quite a long ways off before it's, uh, something that becomes closer to reality. But, you know, uh, you know, thanks go to Michelle Bradley and Rec Networks for uh, continuing to go to the FCC with these sorts of proposals, listening to the feedback, because other proposals for, to expand the power of low power FM have been turned down, sort of understanding what the what the what the objections are and answering those objections. Uh, it's 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 hard work and it and is a process, but it's it's the it is also the kind of work that brought low power FM to the radio dial in the first place.
2: It, it, it really is incredible to think that there, there is a path towards changing the media landscape and um, trying to understand that path sort of boggles my mind. But the work at Radio Survivor that we've done when we've talked to people who, who've walked that path has been, it's really remarkable. There's, there's, there change is always possible. And, and some people have worked very hard to make, to make, uh, to make those changes, to get radio
0: that we love uh, to strengthen it. You never forget that the rules that, that, that lay out how our media works are created by people.
2: <laughs> yeah, but usually we think that those are closed doors, you know, smoking mm-hmm. back rooms, uh, money changes hands. But it's not. Sometimes. Uh, oh, and
0: some- often it it is a very it is it, it can be a completely public process in which. Folks who who have the public interest at heart lose, Uh, you know, (laughs) it it is, you know, it is not, you know, it doesn't have to be a backroom deal for the public interest not to necessarily come out on top or what many people conceive of as the public interest.
2: It's not a done deal. And it's 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 Mm -hmm. always. It's always useful to to be engaged in these sorts of things. Yes,
0: and, and we're grateful that there are some some very smart engineers and and folks who who understand how uh, the FCC works and understands that the FCC is not necessarily an enemy. It's a regulatory body, and you know often our... are is too well known in, in community radio and college radio circles for the fact that they can find you for operations uh, and, you know, for failures of operation or for violating certain rules or policies and not take into account that a lot of their job is to, to make sure radio stations are on the air and stay on the air. Well, let's move to a different medium here. Print Jennifer. <laughs> I like think you and I both had a chance to read uh, the new issue of the Wire magazine.
1: Yeah i I was amazed when a friend shared it with me. the The cover has imagery suggesting the entire issue is about radio, and you know as as we talk about at Radio Survivor, at least sort of when we founded Radio Survivor. Radio isn't really covered in many places still, <laughs> so it's always a bit surprising when there's an issue of a magazine focused entirely on radio. It's very unusual. So I, I was eager to take a look, and um, and some of it really reads like something we might write for Radio Survivor. I, I wanted to just read a bit of, of their opening Words uh, as part of this whole feature. It talks about a lot of things. They talk about radio stations. They talk about radio experiments. Um, But here's an introduction to it. Wire writes, radio in the present moment takes as many forms as there are ways of listening. Intimate real-time connections over the airwaves, site-specific experiments and broadcasting, deep dives into specialist archives, MP3s dropped in WeTransfer links, websites mirroring broadcast or or electromagnetic receivers on another part of the planet, file casting, radio apps, decentralized broadcasting networks, and of course, tuning into the humble FM band. And, and that's kind of what we talk about at Radio Survivor, especially as, as we've expanded our radio show and podcast to talk about all sorts of sound, that radio, radio is a state of mind in a way. You know, it, it's more than just what you hear on your FM dial. So this issue is interesting, especially since they're talking about some brand new experiments, new stations that have cropped up during the pandemic. So it's very much talking about the youthful energy and this ongoing interest that people have to tuning in. And it's an international, it's a truly international look at radio and they have a list of about 100 stations or station-like things that you can tune to, including Radio Garden, which we've talked about on Radio Survivor, which is a website where you kind of spin the globe. It's basically like a radio tuning app, so you can go in and listen to stations all over the world. Um, I also thought it was interesting. A lot of the stations they highlight are, are stations that play very experimental sounds and radio art and and to me, that's something that maybe I hear less of in the United States. And so the fact that they're including this very international mix really makes a lot of sense when when you're talking about stations that are airing some pretty unusual sounds like that you wouldn't hear on, say, commercial radio in the United States, for example.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, we, we tend to and I always say we I'll say I will cop to this. We get very uh bounded by national boundaries sometimes. And, and you know, it, it's often hard for us here in the U.S. and in North America to to imagine how radio is different in other countries. It doesn't always sound the same or look the same. But this is like an issue of the magazine that would have been different 20 years ago. And the magazine has been around that long, you know, and they call themselves Adventures in Sound and Music, right? It's, it's a music magazine, but the tendency is towards the experimental um, towards electronic often, but not only, and, and really about musics that cross a lot of genre boundaries and sometimes technological boundaries. And all of the stations in their hundred list we can listen to if we have a if we have an internet connection. And that's sort of part and, and not all of them are internet only. Many of them are FM or AM stations, but they're not all radio stations in 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 terms of terrestrial broadcast. Which is you know a particular development. No, we really think of that way. You know, and and the fact that you know in that sort of statement of purpose that that you read there, Jennifer, that it is really taking to account that radio is transmitted sound, and right, <laughs> and there are all these ways now we figured out how to do it, and it's so nice and satisfying to see it sort of recognized. And what is essentially a very well-respected journal of of the the most sort of experimental uh, music sounds in an international sort of way. And and, and also then therefore providing a, a guidebook of sorts. You know, not just this listing of stations, you know, which we see community radio stations that, that we've talked about and, and, and many of our listeners will be familiar with, like Wave Farm in New York State, WFMU in New Jersey, Hollow Earth Radio, which is a an LPFM station in Seattle that started life as an internet station prior to getting their, li- their uh, license um, around 2013, 2014. We have college stations like KCSB at Santa Barbara, um, KTRU at Houston, uh, WOBC at Oberlin College. But then it was amazing to learn about all these new online stations going on around the world. Uh, And they're calling themselves often uh, community radio. You know, whether it's uh, Norm Radio in Jakarta, Indonesia. There's a Pan-African space station, they call themselves out of South Africa. And Radio Shima in Russia, which features ambient and field recordings. All these different ways... Uh, to do it, basically, um, you know, along you know, with feature, you know, and they get into feature articles in some of these as well.
1: Oh yeah, and well, what was interesting to me is there were also stations, say in San Francisco, that I never heard of that were <laughs> online stations. <laughs> so,
2: in San Francisco, everybody.
1: I know. Um, and
2: loves all radio.
1: So it it yeah, they really they dug deep and and yeah, some of these are familiar stations that we're aware of or have. You know, there are a handful that I've toured on my radio station tours. Um, but then there's some in my backyard who I had no awareness of. So, yeah, that's pretty interesting, Paul, that they dig quite deep.
0: Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's almost too much to take in because of the directory. And, and, you know, so I've been trying to kind of um, tune in tune in where I can. And I think, you know, we've seen... An overall resurgence, I think, in audio media uh, it, that we have really is very palpable, especially in the last ten years. Um, certainly, podcasting is part of that. The emergence of streaming music services, uh, I think, smart
1: speakers, <laughs> smart
0: speakers, Bluetooth speakers, um, you know, and the smartphone, right? And and the smartphone turns out that i think the audio capacity has become maybe more important than 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 one of might have expected earlier because they really you know generated from originally from like you know flip phones
1: <laughs> well and 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 so many i see this you know with young the young person in my life using one's voice to search or to text on one's phone and so the audio that comes out of the phone or the ipad um, is generated by the audio of one's voice, and I think all these things I, um, contribute to this resurgence or this increase of um, increased interest in audio and the ways that we consume audio. If we're searching the internet by using audio in our voice, for example,
2: yeah, it's really exciting. Like you know, when we started Radio Survivor, the the podcast five years ago, or when when the website started, was definitely a peak declaring the death of radio, as we've said in the past. And it's clear, it's clear all these years later that that's, that that was a, a unique and, and fun to chat about. Maybe we'll chat about it more in the podcast, like where this, where this notion that radio had to die was coming from and why it was so often repeated. But it's, it's obvious that changes are inevitable, but, but its death was was very prematurely declared. And and
1: uh, again we have to bring in Matthew Lazar for that because yeah. you know he came on with us and said we are in the post radio is dead era.
0: Yes, yeah, so th- <laughs> he is our co founder here of Radio Survivor, the website and, and podcast and teaches uh, history at the uh, University of Santa Cruz, University he, of California, Santa Cruz. Yeah. He didn't name the website Radio Survivor I for did. no reason. Oh. <laughs> they, <laughs> And I can't tell you why. I I, yeah. I I just occurred to me. So the the issue, of the Wire magazine we're talking about is is uh, issue number four forty nine. They've been around a while, and it's called On Air Radioactivity. And speaking of other dead media, <laughs> let's get back to cassettes. Zombies are in these days. Zombies are back. And so when we last talked about cassettes a few weeks ago, Eric, you had completed a. Uh, uh, a online workshop of cassette hacking so using audio cassette players and audio cassettes to create as as, as instruments to create new forms right. of sound art
2: and not only were we excited to tell listeners about my experience because we love sound we love getting into these machines we've talked about cassettes on the on the show many times because we uh, are so excited about just their existence and their continuing influence on radio culture and sound culture just the the fact that they've been a part of the the media landscape like you know sometimes uh, uh, radio shows have survived have been passed down because they were recorded on cassettes at home by by the people that loved them uh and then the creative potential but i like to mention also that what's wonderful about the cassette hacking workshop that i took was it was um a community focused teaching organization which um has so much in common jennifer can uh, can uh, is going to agree with me it, so much in common with what radio stations offer offer us but something new it's it's a it's a it, the the it's a new organization to us that is that is that is running things in a community educational sound rich uh um wor- workshops you know there there are so many similarities to radio stations and so much uh, else to be excited about
1: yeah well and and our conversation on on the show was so exciting that i ended up signing up for the cassette hacking workshop as well so i spent I spent a full weekend hacking cassettes just like Eric because I wanted to get in on the fun and and you know I hadn't realized you know we broke apart this kind of generic Walkman
2: $9 the, Chinese you know brand new brand new Walkman
1: in a lovely teal color and and I'd forgotten or maybe I didn't know that there's a radio inside right. as well so so radio is part of all of this and and it was fun for me because we got to do things like create learn how to create tape loops we uh, And so a tape
0: loop for for folks who don't know what that is. What's a tape loop?
1: It's uh it's a length of you have, you make a smaller length of tape so that you 're repeating the same sound over and over right. again people
0: people know people talk about looping they understand it now in the digital terms, right that people will loop a sample, loop a beat, or something, but that all actually that name comes from the fact that the tape was a literal loop <laughs> it's a literal piece of tape that 's that 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 is uh, like and and was used before digital samplers exist in order for people, most famously, perhaps uh, in early days was the um the drum beat to stay alive by the Bee Gees was oh. actually a tape loop.
2: I keep I think about the Beatles though. We were talking and those yeah. seagull sounds were loops that were tape loops, but in this case they weren't cassettes, they were real to real tape loops which is much yeah. easier to splice and create uh, cuz it's bigger.
0: Yeah, and the Bee, well, Bee Gees yeah. one is one where where I think most people don't realize it's a loop rather than it's something cool. which is obviously yeah. uh, calls learned attention learned to itself. Learned that
1: well, and we learn just I mean If you break open one of your cassettes, the length of tape is humongous. Like there's a very long piece of tape looped in there. So we learned how to create a really small, cut out a very small piece of tape. And then if you attach that inside a cassette housing, then you can record your own little short loop on it. Um, And we learned how to break our Walkman such that we can record on top of things. So you can record over the same piece of music or audio over and over again. Yeah, remove, and nor-
2: uh, removing the record head with a piece of oh, pliers. The erase head. Yeah. 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 Okay.
1: Cause normally, normally, um, I mean, we've talked about this on radio survivor where at a radio station, people would record over and over on tapes. So you weren't hearing the artifacts of the old shows you would just completely record. Yeah, over in fact, something. they often had
0: uh, special purpose devices called bulk erasers, specifically yes. to quickly erase a, a tape before trying to use it again to make sure it was good yeah. and erased.
1: Like a big old magnet,
0: essentially.
2: Because yeah. different, different tape machines might have different amounts of, uh, might use different amounts of the tapes. You could you could hear artifacts if yeah. you, you erased it with the with the different machine that you recorded it on.
1: So it was a pretty simple we broke something pretty simply so we could just record over and over yeah. but what i was excited about was you know we did some little experimental recordings like recording the radio so we just turned on the radio on the little walkman and then recorded it with the same walkman which i didn't realize you could do so that was a revelation and so i made some kind of overdubs where i was taping over and over on the radio and and happened to get some strange religious station and so I was excited. I felt like, um, you know, I don't think of myself as an audio artist, even though I do radio, where sometimes I'm doing experimental things, like overdubbing my voice to create echo effects and mixing things. Um,
2: Alice of Alice's Restaurant would disagree.
1: <laughs> I know. You're labeled
2: an audio artist.
1: So I think, um, you know, taking this this workshop is maybe helping me understand and give me more language and tools um, that that yes, doing radio you are an audio artist and and you know in the, in the class we talked about we learned about some of the history of of people who are doing early experimental music, and a lot of those folks came out of radio stations where they had interesting tools to do all these things and so I think it's just a reminder of these interconnections between. Experimental music and early electronics with radio. Yeah, I'm
2: really glad you brought that up, Jennifer, because I loved that part of the cassette hacking workshop when I took it, and then just learning how to open up the machine and start wiring up a circuit and with the resistors and the and and the capacitors and yeah, I forgot, I forgot about how excited I was. So when I'm reading your show notes today for today's episode, and you mentioned um, uh, what you just said that that in nineteen forty-four there was um uh, a man in in Egypt, right?
1: Yes. Oh he, yes. Well he worked yeah. at
2: a radio station.
1: I don't know if he worked at a radio station, but yeah, Egyptian composer Halim El Dab. Right. In nineteen 19-
2: like like you do, he had a he had contact with radio with the radio station in his town.
1: Yeah, he used facilities at at radio studios, at Middle East radio studios. And this is 1944. Um, so isn't that cool to think about 1944 doing these experimental things in a radio station?
0: Well, I mean, radio <laughs> and, he, and, and, and recording are so intrinsically linked.
2: Yeah. And he used a wire recorder, which instead of recording onto tape, it was, uh, well, you
0: know, because sa- in 1944, nobody, but the Germans had tape.
1: Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> so uh,
2: but this particular composer, uh whose name I don't want to mangle, but Halim El Dab, uh ha- we recorded a soundwalk, I believe, which is amazing. I did not know that that someone recorded a soundwalk in Egypt using a wire recorder in nineteen forty four and then broadcast it on the radio.
1: Yeah, and and it's thought to be one of the earliest tape music compositions. Right.
2: And I mean the sound walk, you know is what it sounds like. you go outside and you record what you hear, which these days uh with portable technology being what it is is fun. you can do it anyone could do it but the very the notion of somebody taking a walk in nineteen forty four and recording what they heard was um uh, truly a revolution like well you
0: know, and the- and if you think about it um you know at that time, if you're recording something for what would you record it and in in broadcast is really kind of one of the most immediate applications. Uh, you know, the, the magnetic tape technology uh, didn't come to the United States till after World War II. It had been developed by the Germans. And, you know, one of the first uh, persons to to really want to put it to use was Bing Crosby, uh, who is a singer crooner, very popular in the first half of the, um, of the 20th century because he wanted to be able to have his radio show not be live and you know the technology that existed up to that point was principally wire recorders uh which are uh very you know it's essentially it sounds like it's like a thin spool of wire but it's like thread like wire so it's very fragile very easily like like telephone quality audio fidelity (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but, you know, compared to AM radio, not too unequivalent, but really the the medium itself is very difficult to work with um, and unreliable. And so otherwise they'd have used transcription disks, right, which are records that you record Live onto so that they can be replayed at a different time, but also, uh, comparatively speaking, a, a fragile and, and expensive technology. And even though tape was not cheap in, in sort of the late 40s, uh, in the early 50s, it was less expensive than those other technologies. Uh, wire could be erased and reused, but it tended not, its, it's fragility uh, made it difficult to reuse. But, and, but the tape was much, turned out to be much more easily reused. Wow.
2: I'm excited also about the fact that Jennifer included in the show notes for today that I learned from the cassette hacking workshop and immediately forgot that uh, the composer, the Egyptian composer that we're talking about who recorded the sound walk in 1944, this uh, work was, was uh, presented in an art gallery
0: mm-hmm.
2: in 1944. And so we're not going to declare firsts here on Radio Survivor, but that sounds like a very early example of sound work being, being shared in a... In, a, in a, an artistic,
1: yeah, even earlier than you know, we've had these shows recently about the history of sound art and the history of transmission art, and I'm not sure that we mentioned anything as early as 1944. So, that yeah, that was a revelation to me too, Eric, and and super interesting. All, all of this also was perfect timing because I went to go see Sisters with Transistors over the weekend, which is a film about. Um, women in early electronic music, and and a number of them really were working aligned with radio stations like Daphne Oram, who who co-founded the BBC Radiophonic Workshop, and Delia Derbyshire, who was also working there um, a bit later, and and all over the world, you had these sort of radio workshop like places at radio stations where people were creating sound effects and, and then, you know, electronic music kind of emerges out of all of that. So um, my head is just swimming with all the incredible connections with, you know, the episodes that I just mentioned about the history of sound art, the history of transmission art, and, and also just getting my hands dirty in cassettes. So, a lot, a lot for us radio survivors to to kind of ponder.
2: Right, That's so exciting that you saw sisters with transistors. I'm, I look forward to chatting with you more on the podcast uh, when we're done with the radio here in a
0: moment because um, it's just very exciting. Well, I think you know what we see here, right? Is that in many ways we are talking about medium, and not necessarily in like the McLuhan-esque sort of way, but in a, in a much more concrete and practical sort of way. In that radio, in terms of transmission, is a medium, as is that tape, right? And they have this relationship uh, where the tape itself is used in radio. (laughs) Sometimes it's used to record the radio, sometimes it's used to produce the radio. And then, but it also has its own purposes that are a little less. one-to-one and precise, right? Using Then taking finding the other, other ways we can manipulate this, this medium. Uh, so for the tape to, to turn it into a, an echo effect, to turn it into a loop so that we can uh, make something play back over and over and over again, um, you know, and, and, and uh, slow down the tape so that we can either slow down what we hear or record it slow so we can speed it up. You know, manipulations that are, uh, you know, impossible to do without a recording medium, now, we have to remember that, you know, aside from people building echo chambers, which they once did, and, 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 and using some other technologies without that recording medium, you can't do it. And radio, too, can be used for its principal purpose in a lot of ways to transmit a message from one place to another, right? And, and with regard to radio as we think of it, we, its voice. But it's also it can be computer data, it can be uh, it can be kind of a location data, it can be non digital data uh, that well, he, it's used for.
2: And you're talking about the medium of radio. What pops into my mind first again was uh, Matthew Lazar's contribution to my thinking about radio. But it's it's so painfully obvious. It's that th- what radio really is is the audience because unlike any other sound medium, it's guaranteed. Well. It's, it's assumed it's it's very common for everybody to be listening at the same time
0: well uh, yes but also sometimes the, the radio itself is used as the as, as the art right and so the reception is less important than than what you do with it so you know transmitting on frequencies that aren't used for broadcast radio or using other sorts of you know the the listener being you know the one person or the the crowd Around a receiver in in a particular space, there are silent discos, right, where people broadcast, um, you know, a radio signal with uh, with with music and and people come with their headphones to dance. But you there is no PA system. I mean, I think of all those different ways and that one is physical. You know, in a certain way uh that's sort of tangible to humans at the very least, the tape itself, um, whereas, you know, the ether, the radio is is a little different. And then when we complicate it, when we put it on the Internet, right, all the more so. And that to me, I just keep seeing uh, the continuums here between all of these things. And that once you're sort of once you're talking about sound in particular, I think, what, and whether you're it's a specific organized sound, you know, music or, or whether it's sort of uh, sound that is uh, specifically and, and very uh, determinedly unorganized <laughs> noise, things that you allow to happen. Somebody who takes a, a, a piece of tape and cuts it up and tapes it back together again uh, to see what they get without knowing what's going on. Um, it, it, I think this is what we keep exploring here and at, at Radio Survivor in a lot of ways, and so why over the course of these uh, six years we've been doing this radio show, I we keep, I think we keep opening more boxes. <laughs> and then six years ago, we were sort of more explicitly about radio in 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 the common sense of of terrestrial radio or its you know internet radio parallel and analog, so to speak. Uh, and now we just keep opening boxes and being like wow okay tape manipulations how did and 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 and, but it connects like I don't think it's I I, I think we're not forcing these things into uh, into being related to one another that they they continually share a certain type of of heritage in and around um, our ability to kind of record uh, transmit and manipulate sound
2: radio is a very large container
0: It could it can hold
2: a whole lot. It can hold all you know, that's what we found. And like when we started the when we started off the show six years ago, you know, we had a very specific set of questions, right, that we wanted answers. And I think we got those answered in about 30 episodes. And then it's like, well, like, but we still care about radio. And and it wasn't hard for the door to open up to the next the next set of topics and yeah. And, and, you know, um, I'm so excited about, uh, spending my money. looks like about 10 bucks to buy this magazine from the UK to read about all to, you know, it's a book to read their book about radio. Um, there's just so many more containers to open and, you know, every station that we learn about is a new, you know, Paul, I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to last week's episode uh but but I was just so excited. we just learned all about one station a uh, uh, farm worker radio station in Yakima Washington that 's been on the air and continues to broadcast for um forty years
1: it's
0: Yeah, that 's amazing
2: yeah and it's a uh, spanish language community farm worker radio station in yakima Washington forty years of history founded by women still on the air community volunteer oriented rural every just checked every box and we i hadn't and it's in my it's you know i i believe if i got in my car and drove fast i'd be in yakima washington in less than an hour and i had never heard of this radio station so it's just uh always thrilling to 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 have the privilege to work on radio survivor and to to keep to keep opening boxes
1: yeah these stories are everywhere and you know back to the issue of, of the wire there's so many of these stations all over the world i mean first of all it makes me want to go visit radio stations again, because that's something that I would do all the time. And now it's been quite a long time, you know, maybe two years since I visited a radio station. Um, but also to tune into some of these stations from all over the world. Like I haven't really listened to that many stations in Asia. And, and there's some super interesting underground stations in Asia that now I want to check out. And also some stations that have come up over and over again that seem to be real proponents of, of sound art like resonance FM, you know, I've, I've heard mentioned by many, many guests and I've yet to tune in. So it, you know, it's just a reminder to kind of open, to continue to open my ears to sounds.
0: Yeah. I've got a digital subscription to the wire. Uh, It's a little less expensive. Not a word. We can say that uh, off the, off the air.
2: The physical media uh, go ahead
0: and get it i mean i'm not telling you not to i just i already have the subscription so I, have, I i that's how i read it
2: you know only my friends who are on my video chat can see this but i can let the podcast listeners know that over my shoulder there's a 10 dollars vcr and a 10 dollars crt television set that's two issues of this uh magazine that i could physically own hold in my hands and
0: so uh yeah if there's an issue to own, that's one of them uh, I agree yeah
1: no, I was it's not in it's not in stores here yet, so you have to order it, yeah, it's also ten dollars for three months of digital, so oh
2: okay, yeah. I don't know digital it's you know I'll buy it and then I'll never read it, right because there's always some other junk, I think I mentioned this earlier today yeah there's always some other distraction on on the web, and I like holding on to my physical media, much like uh. Much like owning a piece of music, which is a weird investment to make in 2021, but like knowing that this album is physically in my possession as long as I don't lose it is very different than streaming it and then like forgetting, (laughs) forgetting at some point in the near future that I ever liked it at all, uh, unless I somehow like lock in. The did you print it out?
1: I, I did. I print. Uh, <laughs> I printed out a PDF of the radio um, wonderful article because, yeah, my initial instinct was I want to have a copy of this. And then I realized it was going to be a while to get one in my hands in the United States. Right. And I just wanted to read the content. So I, I sure. forked over for the digital subscription. And there might be some extras in there, too, like, you know.
2: Read uh, read the other issues. Well,
0: I mean, I yeah I'm, just, yeah, I'm a subscriber, so I do read it every month. I guess is when it comes out. Um, well, yeah, and
1: it's music that I'm interested in. Yeah, so and that's how I knew sense. about
0: like the resonance and, and NTS two British stations that I tune into. Some uh, they have pretty good uh, mixed cloud feed, so I often doing oh, it. Um, you oh, know, so post facto.
2: There's so there's too much to love. I quit. Yeah, well, that's true. Absolutely, yeah. it's all off.
1: We, we forgot to mention that, or did we mention that they, they had a whole feature about uh, the Brooklyn Pirate radio map in there yes, too, which is it, nice yeah. to see. It's
2: it's mentioned. It's officially mentioned, even though it didn't get into the radio broadcast.
1: And Wave Farm.
2: Wave Farm as well. Yeah. How, how amazing.
0: Well, um, I think to me, you know, you, we, we marked this sort of how we, we evolved what it is we do. Um, because I think what we what was in 2009 when we started this enterprise, before the podcast, it seemed as though in some ways, as you alluded to, Eric, radio needed saving. Um, or at least radio that of the sort that we are passionate about. and Or, or like a, a cheerleader. Or cheerleader. Yeah, that's, that's far better. We weren't saviors and we weren't going to be. That's right. I think that's a far better uh, way of putting it. Needed a cheerleader. And... Yeah. It was it was courageous to say nice things about radio. Yeah, it felt that way, and it felt like there was news and there were stories right. that were, where the, where right. you needed well, to both
2: revolution was to was advocate
0: and and to and to cheerlead and w- at some point you know you know some six seven years into it right I mean I know I felt went through a period where like I'm not sure why I would do this and. And what it came back to, and I think a lot of it, I I, I took some influence from Jennifer in particular was, well, there's still a lot of things I like. What I don't have as much energy for is to watch the policy like I used to. What I don't have as much energy is to be something more journalist-like all the time. And that part was burning out because after a while I was like, well, I'm not sure. In some ways, aside from some big issues the lot of it I'm not sure what the impact is In that what we traded in in this time from in terms of we meaning at least the people of the United States um, traded in was uh, by sort of letting terrestrial radio become corporatized and uh, homogenized in a certain way what we therefore did is eventually force a lot of creativity (laughs) that, that, and and it wasn't sure how that, it wasn't really clear how that was going to shake out in that first decade, right from 1996 to like 2009 and beyond. It wasn't really clear that, but, but as it turns out, and I don't, and it's not me saying this is the only way it could have gone, or this is, Oh, it's a good thing. It went that way. But what we see, I think is then, the the need to to create the need to transmit the need to to share these audio experiences found other routes found other places at the same time that internet technology developed and you know what we sort of lose a little bit to the history is how poorly commercial radio took advantage of internet technology for the first 10 to 15 years it was feasible And how much it was the just the really the 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 field for the more experimental and the grassroots and continues to be, and then now you know however folks uh, take advantage of other platforms whether it's a TikTok or a YouTube or or um, you know mixed cloud or whatever it is to 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 do what what it is, and 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 it sort of allowed us now to sort of I say bask. Bask in it uh, a bit more. Listening to you, Paul,
2: describe your arc from I, you know, you had this passion for the policy and the wonkiness, and then you started to uh, lose lose that um, spark at at, you know six years later, seven years later. For me, what uh, my 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 journey was there was that um, I had a spark and a passion for for a particular radio station that I. That I learned to be a part of, and I learned to be a producer and a creator, and also a huge fan of, um, just a huge spectrum of other radio creators who were contributing to this particular station. And then, uh, but on the flip side, there were there were uh, negative experiences and difficult experiences and uh, burnout. And so, leaving that station behind me felt like leaving radio and working for radio working on the radio survivor project has been like a rediscovery of why I had those passions, what was amazing about the station, where it fit in the radio culture and the time period and the history. And also like what can come next, not necessarily for me, but for people like me that like, uh, you know, why it was good to, to be a part of a radio station and, and what I look forward to. And then, yeah. And, and, um, and there's always something new. There's always a new box to unpack of, of radio. Uh, I should mention that we're gonna we're gonna talk to Kirk Pearson of Dogbotic on a future episode really soon. Uh, you know, Kirk was one of the instructors and the founder of of the organization of the cassette hacking workshop. But um, I'm most excited to talk to Kirk about about their perspective on sound culture and history. Obviously we got excited on today's episode because I'd completely forgotten that within the body of the cassette hacking workshop, we also learned all this history about the medium of tape. We only, we only really nerded out about one tiny fact, but, um, there's a lot more that they crammed into the weekend and, um, uh, but there's there's even more. I th- I think I think when Kirk comes on the show, we're going to have a, uh, you know, a, a real like a. It's going to be a lot more media theory and philosophy. Yeah, I want
0: to hear from 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 Kirk. Why now? Like why 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 now? Why why is this a time in which there are why? there are workshops like this? That's what I okay. want to learn.
1: I know. Yeah, and, it, and well, and, and and clearly there was a lot of demand. Uh, you know, there were a lot of young people in my workshop who learned about it on social media and, and they're like, Oh, I've been interested in. This and they probably spe- watch a
0: YouTuber who maybe does it too. Right. I mean, there's yeah, there is a lot of this-
1: people were interested in this very specific topic. And, and because of the pandemic, you know, this Dogbotic just started doing the workshops during the pandemic. And, and their assumption is that they wouldn't be able to fill up a workshop of just people in the local area.
0: Hmm.
1: I don't know if that assumption's correct, actually. Well,
0: um, I mean, but- it, it, there's a lot, right? Because physical accessibility, because it's not only people's willingness; it's their ability to attend, right? Right. You know, which which could be constrained. You know, the time constraint of can I be in front of my computer at this time versus can I be at this location at this time. It's right. something we've all learned, right, it, to some extent in, in the last, uh, you know, 16 months.
1: So, yeah, it's an interesting thing that, you know, how workshops are func- functioning right now with people logging in from all over the world. And and that does open things up to a large degree. And, yeah, maybe, maybe I was more likely to do it on the computer versus yeah. in person, even though I could have done this in person. You're
2: down, you're down the street, but I definitely... Uh, took advantage of 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 this new meeting technologies that are that are really the you know it's, that's the story of the year isn't it you know once we once we put the public health crisis uh, to one side it, it really was an incredible year for uh, talking to each other on streaming video in groups of any numbers <laughs> as well as streaming audio like it's uh, I, it's and you know it's not over yet.
1: And connecting with these niche, uh, you know, these niche subsets of people who are interested in breaking apart cassette players all weekend. So um, it's it's another fascinating way of finding your people.
0: I broke three on my yeah. own. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Paul well, does not need a workshop. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: Uh, and so, I mean, I don't know how to do everything that you all did. So, but um, I have some fundamental theory of having broken apart cassette decks before um, I immediately went to recording the radio on it. That was the first thing that that I was like, "That's what I will do." I have a little piece I'll uh, to send to you all uh, that um, has two dueling cassette loops of the same piece of radio to see how that works out.
1: Nice. I, yeah.
2: I mean, there's there's an element of the workshop in which you're empowered as an artist to make your own work, and that's exciting and worth talking about. But there's an element of the workshop in which it's um. Uh, like some like a like a underground guerrilla classroom uh, for other purposes, and then there's this the the third thing, which I guess is something that is related to going to school. It's just often forgotten. Is the the shared intellectual space that it's not just about learning how to take apart a machine and make a machine do a thing. It's about uh, sharing questions, answering them in a group. You know uh, it, it, it has a lot it, it has a lot to offer uh, when conversations are started around a shared topic. Um, and you know, I, I think in the cassette hacking workshop, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that there might have been um, too much to do in the roughly in the two d- the two days and the two hours that we had to work together uh, to have space for those conversations. Uh, I was just talking with Kirk. Uh, this morning, and it it, it feels like um, there's more space for that growth, for that like group development when the when the workshops are spaced out over over time. And uh, Jennifer and I, for better or for worse, are hooked. So we'll we'll probably be talking about further dogmatic workshops. And uh, you know, um, I think that though there's a lot like I'm excited about the conversation as well because I, you know, we think that there's, um, there are lessons to be learned for, from this particular, you know, brand new organization that has a very, uh, unique community focus. It's a business, but it's also, um, uh, a community organization. And I think there are lessons to be learned, uh, for everyone that loves, uh, or, or is stuck, you know, working in radio. Um, yeah, especially the, I think Jennifer, you were mentioning how like, uh, how do radio stations attract this density of youth passion that dog you know when was the last time you know how do, how do you get 85 young
0: people to uh to volunteer to to learn how to
1: exactly well, well, and, some-
0: and one difference though is certainly most radio stations are, are are and maybe this is an artificial limitation are trying to do it in a particular locale right Right. But what does that even mean in the last year? Sure, exactly. I said maybe it's an artificial limitation, but yeah.
2: Take advantage of taking advantage of the way that Dogbotic was.
1: And, you know, and there's marketing involved. And we've talked about, Neil Verma, I think, talked about this, how he, you know, he used to teach a class about radio, but when he changed the title to have podcasting, that seemed to generate more interest. So I think even by calling something cassette hacking and having great graphics, you know, you might be more likely to attract young people to it. Um, Something that I, that I really appreciate. and, And I think about this as a woman who, you know, often tech stuff and gear stuff is really marketed to men and, and has all those trappings of, of being this, you know, very specialized knowledge that, that women aren't typically associated with like all the gear um I, I like the, you know,
2: the, the,
1: the expert experts
2: tend to be more hostile. Exactly. New people, especially new people who uh are women. And right. when the experts are men.
1: <laughs> so I appreciate kind of the friendly, you know, the overtly friendly orientation of these workshops and like that you didn't they weren't assuming any sort of technical knowledge. Um and that as part of their mission, it's really to demystify this gear. And, you know, these are things we talk about on radio survivor all the time, the, the technology of radio and, and, and sometimes I feel like an imposter. Like I don't necessarily, I was not really a fan of physics when I took physics in high school. And, um, and my brain, my brain doesn't necessarily grasp those concepts as easily as other things. So, um, so for me, it was really helpful just to kind of continue to learn more about the technology that I that I talk about in a more, uh, I don't know, sociological way. Um, I like to get in. I enjoyed sort of getting in there and and working on the stuff that's more difficult for me to understand.
2: Yeah, it's um it's really fun. Oh, so did we talk about the movie? You went to a movie theater, Jennifer Waits.
1: Uh Yes, I, I What's went your to first? my first movie since the pandemic. I don't. How do we explain since the pandemic? The first I went to my first movie in a movie theater in a very long time.
2: March twenty twenty is.
1: right. Really I know. Right? Yeah, so I saw Sisters with Transistors at the Roxy Theater in in San Francisco, which is a great like small independent theater. And loved the movie. Um, it, it totally fits with these radio survivor episodes we've done about, you know, women in the history of sound art and women in transmission art and how women were a part of all of these uh, <laughs> fields um, from the very beginning, but don't always get their due. And that's, that's pretty much the focus of the film is really reminding people about all of these women who have been important figures in the history of electronic music. And like I mentioned, we see the intersections with radio and radio workshops. Um, and yeah, it was, you know, I'd, I'd heard of most of the, the people featured in the film before um, just because of the radio station where I DJ that, you know, these are artists who we appreciate and we play already. Um, but there are a few that I think I wasn't aware of like B.B. Barron Um, that might be the only one. Um, And then I was excited that there was a brief soundbite from Maggie Payne, who we talked about um, in our episode about the history of sound art with Judy Dunaway, because Maggie Payne was one of the artists featured in this MoMA exhibit of sound artists way back when. Um, And so there was kind of a brief soundbite from her, which was cool to hear. And the soundtrack features space lady, who is this artist who, she was kind of a street artist in the Bay Area and beyond and, uh, and has has rec- received attention again and has had some releases put out on vinyl uh, and we play her at KFJC. So I was excited. I was delighted like at the end of the movie to hear a song from Space Lady.
2: That's got to be, one would hope, a good payday for a very, 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 very independent.
1: That was my project. first thought. Space yeah. Lady is getting paid. Yeah. Um,
2: you saw a movie with other people. Mm -hmm. Why, why bother? What, what, what was the additional plus to seeing a, to seeing it in the theater?
1: Oh, well, so it appeared that it was disappearing from this online platform. And so like on the day that I was kind of, because it's been out, uh, it came out, I think, starting in April, um, And it was disappearing from some online platform the day that I was kind of checking around again. And then I noticed it was playing at the Roxy on a Saturday afternoon, a day when I normally go walking with some friends. And so I was like, oh, that would be great. We could go see that and then have a walk. And they were all interested and their husbands were interested. So it ended up being like a triple date, like to see a matinee. And the Roxy is still doing social distancing. So um, so they actually had assigned seats with some space around them. They're still requiring masks. San Francisco actually has released, or California has started opening things up. So technically movie theaters don't require masks anymore, but the Roxy still is. So, you know, it's at this point where I'm vaccinated there's very low incidence of of COVID floating around California, so it's these yeah. baby steps, you know, but, of things opening I, up. I, I'm I'm
2: curious if your experience of sharing the viewing experience, especially with strangers, um, was was worth it, like. Uh, that's that's what I miss right when when oh. people around me are enthusiastic for something that I might not have noticed or when when am yeah. that we all we all go oh! together I mean that's what that's what seeing a film in the theater is all yeah
1: about. I mean um people clapped at the end, and so that was kind of the shared moment um you know, they still don't want people lingering in the lobby, so <laughs> so there's less of you have less of that kind of um after a show, I think about that, you know, especially after a, a theater performance, often there's chatter in the lobby. So you had less of that. Um, but, you know, it's I like seeing things on the big screen, too, and hearing music in a big theater versus off of my computer. So I think for a film like that, I, I was really glad to see that on a big screen. And it was nice to see it with friends. Um, So it felt more like I was seeing it with friends because, you know, there were six of us kind of clustered in our little pod. It felt more like seeing with them versus in a packed theater because they, you know, they did not sell every seat purposefully. So it wasn't, you know, it's not a total return to that movie viewing experience that you're referring to.
2: Well, I would encourage listeners, you referenced, uh, there's been, this was a great year, Jennifer. You produced a number of episodes um, on in the overlapping theme of of uh, women getting credit for their role in the history of the sound work that they uh, have been varying degrees have not been given credit or completely written out of. Um, so, uh, I'm going to have to do a little extra digging to make sure that we get links to you know three of those in the show notes. You mentioned um, you mentioned one in which the the very first use of the term sound art, uh was was a group show by three women at the, the Museum of Modern Art in New York City in the seventies, I believe, and we, we had a great interview about that show topic. Um
1: Yeah, that was with Judy Dunaway.
2: That's just one of them. That was just one. Just one Thank you so much for listening to this podcast edition of Radio Survivor. Each week, we edit together a radio cut and a podcast cut. You've listened to the long version. Thank you so much. You can email us. Our email is podcast at radiosurvivor.com. The radio program, the podcast, the website is all listener and reader-supported enterprise. To find out more how you can support what we do, go to radiosurvivor.com slash support. of course the podcast is also available wherever you get your time shifted radio please do subscribe to the show which means uh listen to it for free not this funky new version of the word subscribe that apple is pushing i'm sure it will take me about a year to get used to the 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 notion that subscription now means uh paying paying for your podcasts uh the way that apparently many people uh thought that that's what it meant <laughs> all the non-savvy non-podcast people uh according to some market research that i'm currently bastardizing uh, believed that subscribing to a podcast meant you paid for it and uh, now in fact it do that's the plan uh but not us we'll take our listeners uh, the old-fashioned way one at a time for free wherever you get your podcasts of course though we are running a patreon campaign pa- patreon radio survivor uh, which, which means you're giving us about a dollar or five dollars a month to help us do this stuff, the stuff that we do for free, give away for free. We're heard all around the country, as well as a really beautiful radio station in Ireland, and uh, we're very proud of the work and sharing what we do. On behalf of Paul Reese Mendel and Jennifer Waits, my name is Eric Klein. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week.